Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we continue our Patreon pledge drive with part three of the McCormick Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar. If you already support this podcast, thank you. If you don't, we hope to change your mind with a month of bonus episodes, Patreon previews, and special releases like the one you're about to hear. In a departure from our usual recording process, all three of us are listening to the story for the first time. Not only that, we're listening to it together and recording our thoughts immediately after hearing each episode. In this way, you'll get our real-time reaction to the story's cliffhangers, plot twists, and final resolution. We're also releasing episodes daily, allowing you to enjoy the story in its original, serialized format. So now let's listen to part three of the McCormick Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, first aired October 5th, 1955. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. From Hollywood, it's time now for Bob Bailey as... Johnny Dollar. This is Dules Martin. Lieutenant Martin? Yeah, that's right. I got a message you called while I was out and left this number. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the McCormick case, Lieutenant. McCormick? $100,000 burglary out on Long Island back in 1951. Uh, I was the officer in charge. Who are you? Insurance investigator. I got a tip that an ex-convict named Joe Panny might have pulled it. I'm at Panny's Hotel. Well, let me know how you make out. Say, listen. His room's been torn apart. Every inch of it's been searched. And when I came here tonight, I got socked by a woman with a gun. Give me that address. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Expense account, item seven, two dollars, two drinks. For myself and Lieutenant Dules Martin, NYPD. A big swarthy man who seemed to know what he was about. Martin looked over the damage done by the unknown ransacker of Joe Panny's room questioned the clerk who was unable to furnish any helpful information. Then, because Joe Panny was officially a parole violator, ordered a general pickup. Hey, should be able to get our hands on him pretty soon, Dollar. I hope it's that easy, Lieutenant. Any reason why it shouldn't be fairly routine? No, just a feeling, I guess. I don't know. This whole matter has been flimsy. The tip was weak, but it seems to be paying off. Nothing fits, though. I don't quite get all this, Dollar. How'd you come in on this? Old Mike Cairn died up at Sing Sing two days ago. 
Before he went, he told me he believed Joe Panny might have pulled a McCormick burglary. It didn't seem likely then, Panny being a small-time auto thief and whatnot. But now it does, in view of what's been happening lately. Somebody sure wants something Panny might have, judging from that room. I never saw one taken apart better, an expert search job. Yeah. Hey, Lieutenant, when you picked Joe Panny up, I'd like to be in on it. He's my only lead in this case, and I want to talk to him again. And that's not asking too much. Now, Dollar, about this woman you saw. Pretty, about 30, dark hair, good dresser, wore a silver mink stole. The gun she socked me with was a little one, a 25 or maybe 32 automatic. Mm-hmm. You think she might have done the searching in Joe's room? What do you think? She was flustered and upset when I bumped into her, anxious to get away from the place. And, of course, the gun in her hand. Yeah. She sound familiar to you in this neighborhood? No, no. Could be anybody. Yeah. Well, that's about it, Lieutenant. Yeah? No, I got it. Oh, thanks. I suppose you talked to McCormick, got the full story of the burglary from him? Almost first thing, yeah. I remember him when it first happened. Nice enough, but strange, I thought. This business about somebody phoning the parole office ahead of you to get Joe Panny's address that stops me, though. That's hard to figure. You sure you're telling me everything? Sure, I'm sure. That part sounds crazy. Not if somebody knew I was looking for him, wanted to get him first. But who? How should I know? Well, we'll see what we will see. Uh, Can I drop you anywhere? No, thanks. I'll walk. You let me know when you pick him up. Sure. Two days passed, and I didn't hear from Lieutenant Martin. I finally phoned in, and a supplementary had turned up no leads. Martin had men watching Joe's hotel. His former friends and acquaintances were being checked. Meanwhile, I decided to try and find out who the dark woman in the first stole had been. It seemed pretty obvious that she had just come from Joe's room, that she knew him or was connected with him in some way. So once more, I combed over Joe Panny's file at headquarters, this time looking for a woman's name. The only one mentioned was an ex-wife who had divorced him six years before. Her name was Iris Carter. At the Bureau of Vital Statistics, the marriage certificate and record of divorce proceedings gave me a composite picture of an unhappy and turbulent three-year marriage. It also gave me a general description of Iris Carter that could very well fit the woman I'd seen briefly in the hallway outside Joe Panny's hotel room. There was a six-year-old address to start on. No, ma'am, I'm not Eunice. Oh, no, you sure ain't. You seen her? I don't know. I really don't know her. Oh. Well, what do you want? I'd like to talk to the manager. I want some information. What's your name? Johnny Dollar. What kind of information are you looking for? Are you the manager? Yes, sir, I am. Well, I'm trying to locate a woman named Iris Carter. She might have used the name Iris Panny. She was married once to a man named Joe Panny. Lived here about six years ago. Were you here then? I was. Did you know her? I did. Did you know him? Yeah. He went to jail. Does she live here now? She don't. Do you have any idea where I can find her? I don't. Well, uh, do you happen to know if she ever Why worked do you want or... her? Just to talk to her. When did she move out? Oh, long time ago. Five years, maybe. Uh-huh. What's your business? Insurance. Oh, <laughs> What's up? Oh, nobody around here buys insurance. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have to go into that. If you can think of any place I might get a line on her, I'd appreciate it. It seems to me she worked at a bookstore down the street. Down what street? Out there. Block or two down that way. I think she worked there. I don't know. You can try. 
Thank you, I will. Why, you polite. You tip your hat. So tell me, do you remember what she looked like? Sort of, yeah. Well? Oh, about as tall as I am. Nice. Pretty girl. Blonde or brunette? Dark hair. Almost black. Know any of her friends when she lived here? No. No, I couldn't tell you that. Why? Oh, I might look up one of them and ask her about her, that's all. You ask at that bookstore. I think she worked there. The bookstore Iris Carter Panny had worked in was as dismal as the neighborhood. The proprietor, a Mrs. Olds, yielded a little more helpful information than Iris Carter's former landlady. Yes, Iris had worked there for about six months. She'd quit almost five years before. No, she didn't know where to find her. Expense account, item eight, one dollar and two cents, lunch. I had it in a neighborhood diner called the Showboat, a place where Mrs. Olds said Iris Carter had frequently eaten. The restaurant manager remembered Iris vaguely. She also remembered Iris's boyfriend. I asked for a description. She did better than that. She gave me his name, occupation, and address. An old rehearsal hall two blocks away. The five-man combo working there was really putting it out. Yeah... And the minute I saw him, I knew the boy wearing the trumpet was the one I was looking for. Just good-looking and smooth enough to go with a girl Iris Carter sounded like. Smooth trumpet, too. Okay, guys. Take five. I'm looking for Jack Lang. You found him. I'm Johnny Dollar. Can we talk a minute? That's about all I got, Mr. Dollar. Want to smoke? No, thanks. Oh, man. Gets real tired out about this time of day. Yeah, imagine it does. The way you put it out. Well, everybody do his own racket. What's yours? Insurance investigating. Okay. Now what? Well, I've been asking around the neighborhood, and they tell me you once knew a girl named Iris Carter or Iris Panny. Iris Carter. Go on. I'd like to find her and talk to her, and I thought you might be able to help me. Go on. I want to talk to her ex-husband most of all. I thought somehow she might know where to find him these days. He's in the can. He was released three weeks ago. No. Any ideas? No. I thought finding her might be a shortcut to him. I wouldn't think so. They were all washed up when I knew her. When was that? Five years ago. She hadn't seen him for over a year then. She didn't have much use for him. I don't blame her. How long did you know her? No. We went together for a while while she worked at some crummy bookstore. Then she moved away, and I didn't see her after that. I think she said something about going back to Ohio. You think? I don't remember offhand. Well, let me put it this way. As far as I know, she's in no trouble. The one we want is her ex-husband. You'd be helping a lot if you could tell me where to find her. I don't know. I honestly don't know, and I sure wish I did. I'd like to find her myself. Why? Well, when she went with me, I... Well, wasn't any good. I think she just walked out because she was tired of losers. Sick up to here, you know what I mean? 
Can't blame him. He gave her a pretty bad time. I didn't do much better. But now I got something. It's this little five-piece outfit. Not much, but something. I'd like to show it to her and say, Iris, this is mine. You kind of had it bad, huh? Bad as a guy like me can get it. I know I'll probably never see her again as long as I live, but... Boy, if another, another one like her ever shows up, I'm going to be ready, Dad. Ever see her? No, she must have been something. Yeah. Take a look. Nice, huh? Yeah. I take it back. What back? About seeing her. I've seen her. When? Where? Two nights ago in the hallway outside Joe Panny's room. You sure? I'm sure. She hit me with a gun before she left. The picture he had flipped out of his wallet was old and well-thumbed. It showed a sultry kind of face that could have been 20 or 30 or 40. A wide, frank, smiling, happy mouth. Not the kind of girl I would imagine could ever be married to a Joe Penny. But there was no doubt about it. She had been married to him, and I had seen her. On my way back to the hotel, I dropped in to check with Lieutenant Martin. Hi. Hi. Doing any good? Any lead on Joe Panny? I don't think so far. This may take longer than I thought at first. Well, I've been out looking for his ex-wife. I didn't find her, but I found a few people who knew her. She was the one at his hotel the other night. Name's Iris Carter. You sure? Positive. I saw her picture. We better try to pick her up, too. I'll put it out right away. Fine. Well, I'll keep in touch. Oh, wait a minute. Don't go. Huh? We had some action here today. Sit down. Thanks. Julian McCormick called up, reported you. He said you came out there bothering him a couple days ago. He said he doesn't want to be bothered. Well, I only talked to him to get his story on the burglary. And I told him as long as you didn't break the law, there was nothing we could do to stop you from investigating. But he didn't like it. He seemed perfectly willing to cooperate with me when I talked to him before. Yeah, well, sometime these rich... Excuse me. Martin here. That's right. Well, how long ago? Okay. Well, they found your boy, Joe Penny. What? Yeah. He's on his way to the morgue. Harbor Patrol picked up his body a couple of hours ago, loaded down with slugs. Some case. And that ain't all, Johnny. Huh? His feet were burnt. Here's our star, Bob Bailey, to tell you about tomorrow's episode. Thanks. Tomorrow, a phase of this case that ought to be called the talking corpse. For believe me, this one said plenty. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. That was part three of the McCormick Matter from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. This special podcast that if you're listening to it the first time we put it out, we're doing it, you're listening to this daily with us. If this is years ago, <laughs> you could be listening to this all in one afternoon. I don't or, know. Or it could have been a year since you've heard the last one. There's right. a lot of options. It's endless. But we all just listened to that just now. Uh, I'm going to be in, in full transparency for our listeners. We did take a five-minute break between recording this so Joshua could go to the bathroom. So it's not, <laughs> it's not really 
that you are fresh. Being brutally real. That's good. So yeah. real. I'm peek real. behind the curtain to watch me pee. <laughs> <laughs> I paid no attention. <laughs> um, so stop peeing behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> the um, thing that struck me about this is not only. God, this, I'm really having a good time and production value and in the storyline. Here's what struck me, this third one. This is some incredibly good acting. The mm-hmm. landlady was Dragnet-esque beautiful. <laughs> I thought the same thing. And that's part of what makes these serials so lively to listen to is because it's just not a info dump. Each time we meet a new character, right? They are somehow um, compelling and interesting in their own right. And the script drops these little details, just the authenticating detail of her going, "Eunice, is that you?" Mm-hmm. And we don't need to know who Eunice is right. or why she thought Johnny Dollar was Eunice, but it just it makes it feel like a a real world that he has stepped into briefly and left, and that's as much as he's ever going to know about it, or we will as listeners. I guess so. I will also tell I got no or tears Eunice for did you. <laughs> I guess Too so. cool jazz combo guy. <laughs> the jazz guy was also a great actor. Yes. Well, his, great performance. Th- that performance was really good. That was really cool. I, I just was struck by that. The other thing I was struck by, and I almost said it out loud to you guys, but I realized, oh, we can't talk about it now. We got to record. Sometimes the music, I love the music, by the way. The music in this, it's fantastic. But there are these moments, especially the first four or five beats, bars, whatever you call it, seconds. It sounds like Godzilla music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So listen to it this next time and tell me you don't hear Godzilla music. (laughs) Whenever I hear the music, like this is good music, but I have to like, is this insurance investigation music? (laughs) Uh, there's there's murders and there's it's not stakes. overcompensating it's, if yes. that's what you're implying it's godzilla music <laughs> when we listen godzilla, to part four insured by axis insurers of tokyo <laughs> so wow last... did we take a bath on this insurance policy <laughs> we're paying out again what do you do Tagata city <laughs> so uh few conversational turns ago, you expressed a lack of sympathy for uh, the cool, handsome jazz guy. Was that a joke, or did you really like, oh, come on? No, it's a little bit of a joke, but also like, oh, as much as the character is well-crafted and well-nuanced, there is a little like, ah, the cool guy with a little bit of a heartbroken past. (laughs) Smoking his cigarette. He's taking a break from his combo. (laughs) You wanted to shove his uh, trumpet yes. <laughs> somewhere. Get a job, hippie. <laughs> just so you know, the person that comes into mind when I, all of those things you just described when I was listening to it, guys, it, 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 to me, it was Chet Baker. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and that's, that's who I was picturing before all the heroin. Now I'm Boy, thinking of Chet Baker versus Godzilla. <laughs> right? But you knew more about Chet Baker than I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he had a rough life. Lost all his yeah, teeth. Yeah, Get them all punched out once. Yeah. You know that? This is a Chet Baker podcast now. <laughs> Stop me, Scrimshaw. I dare you. I'm going to. It's all content. <laughs> <laughs> we can use it. You're going to hear the Godzilla music, I swear. I love the lieutenant that we met in this mm-hmm. one, too. Again, as you mentioned, Dragnet, he's very laid back. Johnny uh, gets the audience up to speed in case they just tuned in <laughs> and a little breathlessly, that? and he's like, 
Well, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> It'd be great if you just hung Hilarious up. And that was right. like, that oh, was I'm a- here. The furniture's all wrecked. I got hit in the head by a lady. I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> so how much they charge? Is this like, uh, is uh, she still there? Does hey. Eunice work there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's in quality, getting hit by a lady. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have $10. <laughs> I want to get hit in the head. Yeah, I love that guy. He's like, well, good luck with that. That was just fantastic <laughs> line. Just beautiful um so where do we stand now because we're heading into four so we're, we're getting to a point of some things are going to get revealed well that cliffhanger surprised me well not that uh, jojo ends up dead but the burnt feet implies burnt feet. he was tortured somehow yeah. and i was like "Ooh, they got I, hard-boiled ooh, there i don't know i think he was doing one of those courage walks at <laughs> like a corporate camp i think he was scooting across a one-inch rug <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Or right? maybe burnt feet is some kind of jazz lingo that we don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> He's real, really burning them feet tonight. It was a corporate retreat, and now he feels more confident. And then he died from poisoning. Random theory And right gunshots, now. apparently. <laughs> uh, that he and his ex were in cahoots, and that she is not the one who trashed the hotel. She came back to meet him and found the place trashed. That's why she was running out. That's my oh. updated theory. Okay. Yeah. So she has not, the, she didn't trash the place. But she, she might know- have the jewels and was like, I'm going to go meet up with my ex and we're going to share these jewels or uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever you do with jewels. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to look at them. <laughs> Let's look at these jewels. Uh, but then he was gone, now dead. So she's got him and they're trying to find her. I'm still going with, listen, I'm going to be so wrong, but I am sticking with my theory. That somehow those jewels are still in the safe of McCormick, and that he's involved. I that think a- uh, Tim's initial suspicion of the other insurance yep. agent is strong because you go mm-hmm. back to the clue that jewels are hard to get rid of, right? Yep. And who would know how to get rid of Plus these he- jewels but an insurance agent who can maybe work around from the inside, perhaps? And if you go with the idea of they didn't get rid of the jewels, you can't get rid of the jewels. So how do we get money for this? How do we do it? You know, oh, we report them stolen and keep them. Hit. You know what I'm saying? They got yeah. 20,000. Plus the way he had that Jack Benny conversation with them in episode two, not allowing him to speak was interesting. Like cutting him off. There's something like you can't do this and you can't do that. So therefore this and that. Right. That's all true. Right. So there's the facts. Goodbye. So mm-hmm. there was something about that pattern. And have we actually met McCormick's wife? No. no. Or maybe we have. Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was trying to do the Iris. math of, like, married five years ago, supposedly breaking up with other boyfriend five years ago. There's, there's maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe he went out to get the newspaper and the sidewalk was really hot. Mm. <laughs> We still, okay, we're still in the burnt feet yes. scenario. I, I thought we were back to McCormick, and I'm like, and that no. is pertinent. To I wonder what? if it's the empire that makes all the seasoning. Yeah. McCormick. <laughs> That's why they're rich. Uh, I'm going to give them the old spicy foot treatment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I am really enjoying this. A little more cayenne. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it, but I, I don't think I'm enjoying it as much as Eric because he adds this whole other level because he listens to this and Jack Benny is in it, <laughs> Godzilla and Chet Baker. So yeah, know. that's why I get so confused because I <laughs> those things enter my head and then I forget that that's not 
really part of what's happening. And then I'm like, oh, Chet Baker did it. <laughs> now Raymond Burr's in it because Godzilla. <laughs> well, and I, I first sort of came across the Chet Baker story secondhand through uh, Mobetta Blues. Oh. Uh, which is incorporates some Chet Baker elements in the, the plot of it. Never saw it. Good movie. I'll get on that. Until next time. <laughs> Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.